You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 14. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. You guys make this experience amazing, so I really appreciate you tuning in when I launch my new episodes, hopefully every week. You guys should have noticed this is two in a row in a week, in two weeks. So my uh, systems are hopefully starting to take shape and actually working out so I can get these out on time. And I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode with Wakaya Johannes of IIE, and she runs the Generation Study Abroad initiative over there. It was a really interesting conversation and and honestly, with everything that's going on in the country right now, it's really inspiring. And having these conversations with people kind of keeps me going. Like the work we're doing in international education actually does mean something. So I hope that you are feeling that in your work and not feeling a little, I don't know, frustrated or maybe lacking in hope about what's to come and know that the work that we're doing, whatever you're doing in this space right now, it is hopefully helping us move the needle in really positive ways for individual people and the students we work with, but also hopefully on a larger macro scale as well. So there's my little hopefully pep talk soapbox for you guys this week. Uh, Before I get into today's interview with Ethan Knight, I want to share a little bit about what's going on over in the Inside Study Abroad world. First of all, I will say that this episode is brought to you by the Global Pro Institute. (laughs) I have to give a big shout out to GPI this week because I am opening the doors on Monday. But if you are curious about what the Global Pro Institute is and want to learn more about it, I invite you to join me for a live free workshop tonight, Thursday night, all about what you need to be doing to launch and grow your career in international education. I'm going to go through three specific strategies that you need to nail down to really make sure that you're capitalizing on everything uh, that's available to you so that you can really stand out and get to the front of the line when it comes to launching your career. So if you want to learn more about that workshop that is tonight at 7 p.m. Central Time, go over to insidestudyabroad.com slash workshop and all the details will be there and you can sign up and and make sure you're there. Yes, there will be a replay, but you have to be on the list to get the replay. So make sure that you sign up at insidestudyabroad.com slash workshop. Now, just a little bit of a peek inside Global Pro Institute for those of you who are new to me and new to Inside Study Abroad. It is sort of my signature program that I have launched for people who are trying to break into international education or level up their career in some capacity. So you might be working in the field and trying to get to your next thing, or you're just trying to get in the door and get that first gig in international education. And I designed GPI to be extremely informative, but also very actionable. So we, I take you through an entire roadmap so that you, by the end of the program, have actually done some stuff to make sure that you are positioning yourself 
for the career you want. So if you want to stop spinning your wheels in your job search and ditch all of the frustration that often comes with this process, I encourage you to come to the workshop tonight and learn more about the Global Pro Institute. And if you can't make it to the workshop, don't worry. I'll have lots of emails coming out over the next week all about GPI and what's included and and how it works. So stay tuned for that. If you don't want to hear about GPI, it's okay. You'll have an option to opt out of those emails as well. All right. Enough of all that. Let's get into today's episode. Today, my guest is my good friend and just really cool person. I was introduced to him via another friend. And so this is another reason why networking is so important in our field. But I would have never probably met Ethan if I hadn't had that cool introduction from somebody who said, hey, you guys are both going to this conference. You need to meet. And I was so happy that I did. Ethan is the founder of Carpe Diem Education. But right now, his primary project he's working on is the American Gap Association. And we get into some really great stories about how Carpe Diem got started, some of the challenges that Ethan has faced over the course of running that organization. And then, of course, what is what is a gap year and what is the state of the sort of gap experiences in the United States and what AGA is doing to try to make gap year experiences or gap programs more readily available and just so more people know that they exist as a really cool, meaningful international experience. And so it's a really cool conversation to get to hear Ethan talk about how it's evolving over time because he's living it right now trying to grow this organization. So uh, we'll have more information all about how you can get involved with AGA and maybe even attend their conference that I know is coming up in May. So let's get into the show. So today, everybody, I'm here with Ethan Knight, the founder of the American Gap Association, amongst many other projects that we'll get into. Thank you so much for being here, Ethan. Awesome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's get started with my sort of always go-to question. Tell us how you got to where you are today. What's your international ed story? Oh, it's such a good story and such a serpentine one. Um, uh, my story started off, um, in high school. I actually had someone give a speech at my high school in front of all the juniors and seniors about gap years. So it's no surprise that I should land in, in the, in the place that I am right now and get to repeat the favor to so many other high schoolers, <laughs> um, since my own introduction. Um, uh, it was so opening that, that some of the conversations that were laid at my feet were, were to go rebuild a Christian monastery in Turkey or work on a solar cell manufacturing plant in, um, in India or uh, go work with wildlife rehabilitation in Bolivia. And just sort of that, that blew my eyes open to the world that was in front of me. And I think that the initial shock was, wait, there's another choice aside from going directly to college, yada, 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 yada. Um, yeah, nonetheless, I, I followed the herd my freshman year and did what most people do their freshman year, which is not study a lot, fill in the blanks. And um, um, felt like I was I was doing maybe 30 minutes of homework a week and getting by with B pluses and A minuses. And it's not because I'm the smartest bulb in every um, in every chandelier. It's it's really just that that sort of they had to uplift the incoming freshman level. And so I took a leave of absence my um, after my first year. Um, to go study in um, India, Nepal, and Tibet as part of my gap year. I worked with a gap year consultancy and then um, spent seven months doing every manner of thing from uh, living in a thatched hut during monsoon season. I would not advise that. To um, um, Things got a little wet. To uh, <laughs> volunteering at the soup kitchen, um, solar cell manufacturing, trekking for three weeks, uh, silent meditation for 10 days, 
um, um, terracotta potter, you name it. I sort of tried the hat on for about seven months and then came back and worked. And then um, went back to my same school, did a study abroad with SIT um, to Tanzania. That was a great experience, again, experiential. Um, and then came back and, and applied to work for a gap year company called Leap Now down in California. And so um, that sort of begins the next 15 years of my gap year life where I've been in the field, um, uh, led the hundreds of students overseas, um, and then placed probably at this point close to 3,000 in my career. Um, um, just personally over the course of, you know, working at leap now, starting another organization and then going on to, to start the AGA. Awesome. Okay. So many things, so many things I have questions about. So let's back up way back up. So in, at that point in high school, had you ever been abroad before? Was the international world, the global world, part of your understanding? Was it part of your life? Great question. I, I had stories of my dad in Vietnam and then had been on a one and a half week exchange with a sister high school in Mexico. And that was that was my only experience. And I have to admit that that Mexico experience was overwhelmingly induced by tequila and Acapulco uh, discotecas. Um, so it was back in the day of the Macarena. And you can only imagine what Macarena was, was really like. <laughs> so you got into your career working in Leap Dow. Like what you know, you started Carpe Diem, which I feel like we should talk about a little bit because I think also there's definitely people out there, I think, curious about what it's like to start your own company, especially within this space and what that looked like. So talk a little bit about that process. Like, where did you get the courage <laughs> and foresight, you know, um, the audacity, if you will, to start your own organization? And why did you focus on the experiential style of programs? Yeah. It all, it all started with a head injury. Um, no, just kidding. Because that's sort of the most logical place that you could come from and saying, I'm going to start my own business, right? Right. I think it's worth saying that that I had some had some excellent mentorship over the seven or eight years that I was at Leap Now, and so I, I got to lead groups in the field, which gave me a deeper understanding of of, of sort of the pedagogical sort of um, methods that we employ in the field to keep students engaged in the world that's around them, and also having it be somewhat reflective, all sort of tying together through you know variety of service learning and adventure activities. Um, after about seven years, I had worked my way into the into the office and then, you know, was pulling 60, 70 hour work weeks doing program management, student interviews, staff hiring, you know, sort of becoming the assistant director. And after that, there came a time when Sam Bull, he's the, the owner there and the founder, he reached out, he pulled me aside. He said, Ethan, I'm just not getting the same passion, the same joie de vivre from you from this work. And he asked me, is it time? I was like, wait, what do you mean? Is it time? Are you firing me? Yeah. Like, no, I'm just calling, calling what I see. Like, like, is it time to transition? I was like, you know what? Seven years is a good run um, at a spot. You know, I've worked my way up the ladder as far as I can go. Certainly had thoughts for how to improve, but I, I, I sort of went off the treadmill for about mm, two or three months doing some consulting work. Took my little sister to Costa Rica, um, um, got my wilderness EMT just because I've always been curious to do that. And then basically at that point, it became clear that that I, I really do love this work. I love what it does to students. I love sort of the way their eyes get big, the way they put together two disparate thoughts to provide some clarity for a third. Um, um, and the way that it, it, it really does tie us all together. Like at the end of the day, you know, we all bleed the same. We all, our feelings are not so estranged from one another that, that, you know, no matter what the divide, we can't somehow meet in the middle. And after all of those reflections, I was like, you know what? I still love the work. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not at the point that I want to work directly with students in the same way. I want to work with staff. 
And so uh, effectively, I offered to buy um, one or two of the programs from Leap Now, worked out a three-year payment plan, and then um, um, grew it from there. Uh, so literally, when I moved into my house in Portland, which is where I'm based now, um, I sold everything I had, my, my motorcycle, my digital piano. It was it, When I started it, I had, I had one and a half employees come in to my bedroom where there was a desk because I had two housemates to pay for the rest of my, you know, my mortgage. And um, slowly it took over the upstairs of the house. And then I bought another property um, with, you know, thanks to a, a generous loan from the bank of mom um, <laughs> that I was able to pay it back with. And then we outgrew that. And that's thus turned into a hostel. Um, hey, stick to what you know. And then from there, um, bought another property that Carpe has grown into and um, subsequent, subsequently launched um, a separate nonprofit to work with low income kids. So right. it's it's been one of sort of like like checking out the landscape, seeing where the where, where the opportunity was, where I was excited. You don't start a business, I have to say. Um, um, because you need more work because a business will give you more work than any human can handle. Um, um, but it is always one driven by passion. Um, and then the experiential piece, like I, I you know, the, it just really connected with me at, at the end of the day. I don't think I had ever really been exposed to what experiential learning was in all of my years of schooling previous. And, and, you know, my, my experience was so cliche on my gap year of, you know, the first semester uh, or first year, you know, professors giving you these these phenomenal points that would you'd regurgitate properly for a test, um, um, but no real connection to it. And at the end of the day, I'm a huge fan of saying that that nothing is real until you have a relationship to it. Mm. And so um, for me, you know, when I came back at the end of my gap year, I had a relationship to things that I'd never had a relationship before. Um, with and so I go to the library. You know, there's the building on each campus where there's all these books are stored. Um, I figured that there's actually a reason for them being there because there's all this information. <laughs> so I was curious. And yeah. So I followed that thread on my own. That's great. So, the, so let's, let's talk a little bit more on it from a professional capacity. Now we've talked about experiential learning. We've talked about gap year. What is a gap year and is it different or the same as experiential learning? So help us unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I started the American Gap Association about three years ago, the very first question was, was, yeah, how do we choose to define a gap year? Because it's a term that we inherited from the UK um, and Western Europe, but primarily the UK. And how it's practiced in the UK is much different than how it's practiced here in the States. And so, so we define a gap year as an experiential semester or year on, if you could see me, I'm doing Richard Dixon air quotes, um, on as opposed to a year off. Um, in order to deepen one's personal, practical, and professional awareness. Um, it's typically done between high school and college, um, but that's not exclusively so. Uh, we think that it should be a minimum of two months, um, preferably a semester. And what we're finding is that the vast majority of students who are taking a gap year in terms of the actual experiential outbound, like let's go soak up some life in a different way, um, um, the vast majority of students are just doing that for, for a slightly more than a semester. Um, and then the year is a little bit of a misnomer. So the year itself is the time away and, and program time maybe represents a portion of it. And then the rest of the balance goes to, you know, work, family, school preparations, some way to pay it all back. Um, so, yeah, it is all fundamentally rooted in experiential pedagogies. And I could we, we've broken it down into really five core concepts, if you'd like me to get into that, too. Yeah, I would love to hear it. Yeah, totally. So, so a gap year, the five core concepts, three of which are experiential learning. So, so one is self-governance. So experiential learning through self-governance, it's basically goes to the tenet of I'm tired of having students say, I paid my money, now do your education thing on me. It's, it's an active endeavor. It's not a passive endeavor. 
Um, um, and so self-governance is, a, it's a little bit of you reap what you sow. If you, if you end up sleeping in a really crappy hostel for one night, um, because you didn't plan ahead, well, guess what? Then you're going to learn that lesson. And so it's really important that sort of the natural consequences follow. So that's where the self-governance comes in and organizations do that in a variety of ways, everything from like leader of the week to, um, you're in charge of sort of, uh, scaffolding out sort of, a, a, an onboarding for all the students to be in this new site or of this project. Um, the second experiential learning is uh, re um, um, reflection. So um, learning is not had by default through an experience. You have to reflect on it. And in the gap year world, that can be through everything from from a paper, sure, but most often it's done through through journal prompts, through um, discussion, through you know composing a musical piece. I've seen an organization do that um, um, uh, to uh, creating your own lesson plans. Um, so so the reflection can happen in a variety of ways. Um, and then the third of the experiential pieces is, an, is appropriate mentorship. And that's really key for two core components. One is around safety, um, a mentor who can look you in the eyes and be like, you don't look well. Let's get you checked out because I'll be honest, most 18 year olds don't know when they need to go see a doctor and certainly not when you're talking, at, talking about international vectors. Um, and, and, you know, it's like I can't count the number of students I've had go to the doctor in Fiji and then they think, great, it's fine. But of course, the bacteria in Fiji are radically different than the bacteria we're exposed to in the States. And so it goes from bad to worse really quickly. And if a student doesn't have the wherewithal to ask and follow up properly, then, then bad things can happen. So, so one is safety. The other is, is just learning opportunities. I mean, when that student looks at a, at a kid who's begging in the streets and you see their eyes get big, there's an opportunity and there's a window of an opportunity. It doesn't persist. It's not forever. You can't sort of cycle back in two weeks and say, okay, now we have time to talk about it. It's like there's a moment when that, that student is really open and a good mentor will capitalize on that moment and craft forward with that student some ways to understand more of what it is to be in that kid's shoes, no matter what the circumstance. I just use sort of the homeless kid as one example, but there's so many other ones that are out there, be they environmental, be they professional, be they engineering, be they, you know, it's just to cultivate that moment um, when a student's just showing up. And then the other two are, are not necessarily in the experiential realm, but I think they're just as important. So, so one is, is empathy. It's, I call it learning to see things from the other's perspective, the all mystical capital O other. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing about empathy is, is I think in our time, we can no longer afford to say that what happens to somebody else doesn't necessarily affect us. It's that old analogy, you know, first they came after X group and, and that wasn't me. And so they're gone. And now they came after Y group and that wasn't me. And now they're gone. And now they're coming after me and all of the other people to help me are gone. And I think that, that sort of, you know, as we look out, you know, be they issues of social justice, be they issues of, of rights, be they issues of, um, um, of opportunity. I, I just feel like at the end of the day, you know, what happens in Haiti or continues to happen in Haiti, what happens in, in Nepal, um, what happens in New Zealand, um, you know, in a recent earthquake there, um, it, it, we have to reach out more than just to sort of give lip service. Um, that will be us someday. And I think it's important to know that what goes around does come around. From an empathy perspective, I, I'm often a, a fan of saying, again, nothing's real until you have a relationship with it. Um, but really, at the end of the day, this is kind of a learning endeavor. Um, um, we are all in it together. And, and climate change is one of the first issues where what happens in China directly happens uh, affects us here. Mm -hmm. I think we're on the front wave of those kinds of issues where they also are interconnected that we can no longer afford to just throw some walls up, right. um, not to mention you know climate change. It's interesting how you uh, break that down and sort of those key pillars, I guess, of what a gap year program 
or experiential learning model would include. My background, I've definitely done a lot of research, especially in grad school, on experiential learning, especially in the higher education realm. Kolb's experiential learning cycle, Mm -hmm. Ku's high-impact practices, Mm -hmm. I get to see a lot of parallels there. And if anybody Mm -hmm. doesn't know who those two guys are, go look them up. I'll link to them in the show notes. It's it's something that I think all international ed professionals should be aware of and and have a, a good foundation in those research frameworks, because I think they apply in a lot of different capacities in the work we do. So my thing, I would ask you, why a gap year? Why not layer on top these elements into traditional study abroad? Mm, Yeah. Well, first of all, what our research shows, and if you go to um, the American Gap website, we did a 2015 national alumni survey that is the most comprehensive effort uh, at sort of getting student outcomes in the gap year spectrum here in the States. And what we found was that roughly 70% of students uh, who take a gap year are going on to do a study abroad. Um, So it does kind of build. But Mm -hmm. fundamentally, if you look at it from a developmental perspective, not just sort of um, human development, because that's also incredibly relevant, but also in terms of professional development, the idea for most study abroad, by the time it's your junior year, it's less sort of, I think about about learning, especially in international sort of arenas, as, as either horizontal or vertical. Um, and that could apply by subject matter, that could apply by sort of culture, um, um, uh, region. Um, most gap years are going to be um, a combination of horizontal and vertical. So, so the emphasis on the horizontal is self-awareness, self-development. If you're going to take on a, a leadership role, um, knowing who you are, what you stand for, and why you stand for those things, I think is, is just as important as if not more so than the leadership you're putting out. Um, um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, I I think that, that as we build towards a a study abroad though, hopefully students have more of an opportunity to go vertical where it's, it's like, I've chosen a major at that point and I'm really diving in concertedly. My hope for a gap year though, is, is that you won't see students changing their majors on average in college. Now it's between three and five times. I'm not going to sort of, um, um, regale you with the, the wonderful highs of, of, you know, student, um, time to graduation that Mm -hmm. the averages are telling us, but gap years we're finding they're taking 3.75 to four years to graduate in a four, four, four year degree. Um, and part of that is, is part remember how I said a gap year is part horizontal, part vertical Well, the horizontal is is an exposure to broad array of things. The vertical is, is an opportunity I'm interested in. Let's let's pull marine biology. That's the classic go-to example. I love being a marine biologist. I'm going to go spend all this time on the ocean and, and, and fill in all the blanks. And the reality is it's primarily in a lab and writing grants. It's not on the ocean. And if you haven't had an opportunity to experience that firsthand, then your junior year might be in many cases, the first opportunity to have that, that firsthand in an internship on the ground experience. And at that point you're like, Oh crap, I'm already in this like two, two and a half years. This isn't what I really want to do. Uh, better to, to make that investment up front. So we're finding a lot of gap students are looking at it from a pragmatic approach of just mm-hmm. saying, I, college costs so much money. I got to make sure that this is going to really work for me in the long mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, from a human development point mm-hmm. of view in studying, you know, student development theory in grad school myself, I think it is really important to understand that the way we've structured our higher education model in the United States, you know, this idea that, you know, at 18, you kind of got to enter, maybe you have a year to like do your general ed requirements and maybe do a little bit of exploring. But because so many majors now are so regimented in what's required and, and when you have to take what and what sequence and which yeah. class is only offered every odd spring, you know, things like that, that really put a lot of limitations on any of this flexibility of exploration. And I think 
yeah, this concept of like, okay, at 18, I kind of got to narrow it down, but maybe yeah. 19. And, yeah. and then 19, <laughs> I better be on track. Otherwise, I'm going to have to stay an extra year. The debt that I'm already going to be strapped with is now going to grow, et cetera, et cetera. And then they sort of going down this tunnel of either unemployability because they just chose something they don't really care about or hyper employability and they had to choose something just to get in, get out and get a job. And then they, you know, then they, we deal with sort of the quarter life crisis issues <laughs> and things like that. So I think, you know, if I look back on my own experience, I absolutely wish I had the wherewithal or just knowledge or access to a gap year. What I, yeah, the opportunity for it. Here's what I would want to like chat about a little bit is I grew up in rural Kansas. People are probably sick of me talking about this <laughs> and, you know, a very low income family, first generation college student, et cetera, et cetera. The, you know, the way you're describing gap year to me just sounds like something for the rich kids. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the rich kids, you know, in the neighborhood next to mine. And so how do we make gap year something that is accessible or is it accessible? How do how do we make people who need to get jobs, who need to be earning money even during college? How do you make gap year attractive to them or an asset for them in a right. lot of ways? I, it's, I think that's, that's so the right question. And and for me, the, the low income, honestly, when I grew up, there was certain periods of my life that, that we were close to living on the streets. And so um, I was not a first generation college student, but but the, the closeness to that story became one um, that became part of my personal story as well. And that's totally changed. Um, so when I first started Carpe Diem, for instance, the first thing I did was branch out and create Carpe Mundi, which was a nonprofit to work with low income Portland area youth. Um, um, what they do is it's a high mentorship because these 10, these, these, those students, the students that are on the Carpe Mundi program, there's no these students, the Carpe Mundi students, they tend to need, um, um, a little bit more, I'll call it grafting, but really it's just sort of mentorship. Like what is college like? Um, um, you know, they got their high school diploma, but just by the skin of their chinny chin chin through an alternative program where homework wasn't really emphasized. And guess what? College is a lot of homework. So, so the, the high school diploma isn't necessarily a, a, an immediate leg up for those students. And so it's a lot of mentorship in the fall semester at, at, at Portland State University is where they go. Then January, it's, it's sort of weekly meetings every three or three a week um, in preparation to go overseas. Most of these students have never been on an airplane before. And then they go on to a Carpe Diem program where Carpe Diem offers it to them below cost. They do it in small cohorts, interwoven with existing Carpe Diem students so that the students have a sort of, I oftentimes think about Mother Teresa's destitution of spirit versus destitution of means. And I think sort of we have opportunities, horrible though they are, to address the destitution of means. But the destitution of spirit, we, we never talk about that. Sort of so, so getting students across the ladder where they say, oh, you have you come from that the other side of the railroad tracks, proverbially, and 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 you're just as human and messed up in this case as am I. Like, cool. Mm-hmm. Like we have a lot more in common than we ever thought possible. So I think mm-hmm. that's a really, a really important positive step. So anyway, long story short, like the, the question is, you know, students do that program below, they, they end up walking out with a year of college credit. They they avail themselves of a of a um a Department of State grant. They're, they apply their Pell and um, they walk away a year of college credit richer with, uh, with zero loans. That's our mission. That's mm-hmm. our goal. 
Um, so there's ways out there, but I think you're right that the I think the that generally if we're looking at sort of the programs again, Richard Nixon air quotes the the programs of a gap year. Um, what we're finding is that is that they of course they are expensive. It's tantamount to outdoor education, which is is not cheap. Um, program wise, I'm seeing that come in you know in cost to the student between eighty and one hundred and fifty, maybe even two hundred dollars per program day. Mm. Uh, which seems exorbitant and it's actually really not that bad or, or off the norm at all. Um, but what we're really trying to encourage students to do is, is to think outside of the box in their gap year, own their gap year experience. So um, if you think about a gap year as um, um, multiple chunks, and that's the best way that I can think of to structure it, um, um, have the first chunk be, be higher cost. Um, have someone train you. How do you travel? Like, what are the questions you should ask? Um, if you're thinking about volunteering, like what are the, what are the critical stakeholders and how do you really pay attention and respect sort of local norms and, and sort of project goals? Um, um, what's the long-term footprint? Have someone train you how to do that up front. And then all of the rest of it could be a work trade, like woofing, um, $35 is the cost of encryption inscription. And, and then it's, 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 you, you do a work trade Monday through Friday, um, for free room and board. And then your weekends are free to go, um, travel about, um, um, uh, AmeriCorps is a phenomenal gap year and, and we are happy to count them a gap year. And, and that's, you're, 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 you're hitting all the tenets of a good gap year. You're doing it domestically though. Nothing wrong with that. Who's mm-hmm. to say you can't have a cross-cultural experience going from, um, in this case, I have a former student who went from Portland to Little Rock, Arkansas mm-hmm. or to Louisiana, like that's out there. Yeah. I always tell people all the time, and uh, and frankly, a lot of people in international ed sometimes kind of laugh at this or stick their nose up to it quite a bit, but I always tell them my most challenging cross-cultural experience was moving from the farm in Kansas to going to mm. college in Boston. And I studied abroad in you know several different countries in, in Europe and then later went to China. And my hardest transition to this day was that transition from Kansas to Boston. And you know, I know I said we weren't going to get political here, but I think <laughs> the nature of the recent election, we're recording this about a week after the election. I, I hope now that it, especially my colleagues in this space will take that very seriously, that we have some very deep cultural divides just domestically. And there there are opportunities here for learning, especially when it comes to like cost prohibitive elements of, of study abroad or gap year or any of these types of programs that there could be one really, really amazing learning opportunities here, but two, make them more accessible to more people who it might be easier to go from Kansas to Boston uh, financially than going from Kansas to, to Russia or Kansas to Spain or Kansas to Peru or wherever. It's it's a little less sexy, but I think in some ways because of that, almost even more heroic. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on on what the need is that you're going to fill, and and you know, I'm 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 nodding my head like like vigorously as you're saying all of these things because yeah, um, you can truthfully you can actually have an international experience in our own country. Mm-hmm. Um, um, working on a Navajo reservation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's First Nations people here that were here way before us. If you mm-hmm. can't count that a cross cultural experience, then I think you're missing the boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think especially as a result of the elections as someone who, if we think about very different emerging cult or not emerging, but like the salient divide that we're seeing now in cultures where it's urban and rural, what have you, mm-hmm. I kind of find myself lucky that I kind of can cross both of those 
code switch, if you will, into each mm. of those worlds. And I feel like there's a lot of lot of opportunities here. And so like Andrew Gordon from Diversity Abroad, we've already started talking about doing some cool stuff. So we'll see what happens with it. But it's exciting because I feel like the election has drawn a lot of attention to this opportunity or challenge, whatever. And maybe we can get more maybe support for it uh, within yeah. international ed. And I kind of want to get into this talking about like, is it if it's not an international kind of is, does it matter? Mm-hmm. Is it meaningful? You know, something that you and I have talked about online sort of in passing a little bit, but kind of this, this element of how the concept of a gap year is treated within the traditional international education yeah. space. And what has been the reception of professionals mm. to AGA or to this concept of gap year and you, your efforts to try to bring it into the larger fold? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it has been, it's an, it's been an uphill slog. You know, part of it is, is I'm sure that, you know, I don't have a PhD, so there's that credential piece that's been a bit of a, a hurdle. You know, people have a limited amount of time to be able to judge whether you're, whether you're worth their time. And that's just one of the things that they look at. I get that. I get that. Um, um, you know, I think probably if I'm being honest, you know, we've, we've applied to give talks at, at admissions, like the national association for college admissions counselors, uh, what do they have a membership of almost 14,000, 15,000 now around the country every year at their national conference, they give us a, a really significant spot, um, be it a three hour sort of pre-con session or the biggest room. Like literally last year, uh, we were presenting in the biggest room and had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people there. It was great. Um, the admission side is really favorable for, it's been interesting though, on the study abroad side, people have been, they've been very open, um, very welcoming. Um, um, uh, when I first worked with the forum on education abroad, Brian Whalen, um, in his wisdom reached out and said, Hey, let's just create a reciprocal membership. Um, this is great. Uh, um, I'm in support of what you're doing. Um, what I found though is sort of the, the, the average study abroad person does kind of thumb or nose at it. They, they think experiential ed isn't real ed. It's not in a classroom. Um, I think that's probably sort of more true for college than it is for necessarily study abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then also the, the sort of the, the thing that I recently had when I attended the Institute for International Education's conference in DC, um, was a bit of a dawning of awareness. And they said, you know what? I work with students. Gap year is not students. They are not my students. So therefore it's, it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how it's, it, I, that's, that's a very narrow interpretation. I get that, but I just feel like, like we're sort of missing the point. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to hear that kind of reception. I was actually just chatting with uh, Samantha Martin, who's the founder of Via TRM, which is a software kind of solution. And we were talking about this and she said that something along the lines, I'm probably misquoting her, sorry, Sam, but something along the lines of um, apply now is too late. Like when, if you're reaching out and mm. your big promotion is all around, the application is right now, it's time to go. You, you've already sort of failed a lot of your students because yeah. the ones who are always going to go and they were going to make it happen, they'll be there. Um, it's right. the ones who thought they might go and then kind of trickled away and there wasn't a lot of touch points so they didn't really know what to do next and then it kind of goes away. And so that's where we sort of lose this influx of participation. And if I was at IIE and attending several different sessions and multiple times, whether someone from the audience made a comment or one of the presenters mentioned that 
we've got to be focused more on the long game strategy, a longer term cycle and not the apply now. We've got a you know six week period of rolling them in, rolling them out and get on board for the next round. And talking about, you know, an integrative advising process that's not just in study abroad, that includes admissions, orientation, academic advising, leadership programs, um, student services, et cetera, all sort of working towards that same ends. And it sounds really beautiful, right? I say it like, mm-hmm. oh, that utopian <laughs> world there. So my question for you is what is the ideal you represent AGA. You're a proponent for this type of program. I'm assuming you still support for the right students still going to university and earning a Absolutely. degree. So what in your ideal world, if we yeah. all were to work together, what would that process or what would the student experience look like? Yeah. So so the, the, the big answer to that is it, my, my big, hairy, audacious goal, partially because the funding issue. But also as I look out at the broad spectrum and say, you know, I try and understand where, where are the incoming first year um, student in college at compared to 10, 20, 30 years ago, um, we have a lot of, a lot of sort of growth that we need to invest in our students more in order to be prepared for college. Um, um, there was a reason why four years was always what, what, what a bachelor's degree was. And, And I would argue that the average college student probably gets two and a half to three years of college education. Um, um, if you actually string it all out. So, so for me, the sweet spot, I think is as a first year um, uh, uh, experience for all incoming students, um, where the gap year is a gap semester, college credit is given, access to federal financial aid is given. Um, it focuses on one or two key topics, but it sets the student up for the rest of their their bachelor's degree to to maximize it. In fact, the presentations that I'm giving um, um, out at, at PTAs and high schools and 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 with educational consultants, it's it's a it's a it's sort of the gap year. Um, um, how to maximize your future. Because that's, that's really what I think of it as. Um, if you walk in with greater focus, it's amazing how, how much the outcomes um, shift in a student's favor. In fact, we're finding that on a student's GPA, it, it's improving their GPA by anywhere from 0.1 all the way up to almost 0.5. In GPA, and that's over predicted from you know based on the college's norms themselves. It's not just sort of a you know oh well you know there's some self reflection or self um, 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 oh self confirmation bias um, some bias in terms of the actual data set. It's really just looking at it and saying you know students are overperforming. So I think it should be a first semester first year experience for almost all incoming students. My first semester topic was on on water rights in Israel, and I went to a great school. I can tell you one thing that at the age of 19 or 18, I really did not care about. It was water rights in Israel. (laughs) I had three months of it and I was so over it. Now, having been there, I totally get it. But before I was like, you know, I'm just, you know, over the head. I just don't care. It's not relevant. Mm -hmm. And so, so are you saying that was, but it was still a valuable experience, even though at the time you're like, what? (laughs) Or are you saying it, the, you would do it completely differently? You wouldn't assign that topic. Oh, okay. Either not assign that topic or, do that topic from Israel, yeah, uh, you know, or or where where three weeks or a month and a half of the experience is in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I just, you know, it's it, it's sort of, you know, why is place based learning so important? Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's because it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you know, the, the thing that I'm constantly sort of a fan of pointing out, you can't see this if you're listening to it on the radio, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm showing Brooke my cell phone. Mm-hmm. We've all seen a cell phone. Um, um, my, my, one of my favorite lines is that we have more information in the palm of our hands than in the sum total of humanity's history. Mm-hmm. So, so information then isn't, isn't the thing that students really need. It's, I would say it's the experience to be able to know what to do with the information. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's where I think I think experiential learning is really starting to take take firmer root. Um, you know, as we watch students who correct their professors in the middle of a classroom, um, um, you know, because they're on their phone. Or, um, um, yeah, they just find themselves on Google. Like, I don't, I, I don't know how to do a thing. I'll just YouTube it. You know, there's some guy who's going to show me how to do drywall. I'll just YouTube it. Three minutes later, I'm a self-proclaimed expert. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the, what you just described there is like the, the classic Kolb learning, the experiential learning cycle, the what, so what, now what, and do it, right? And that cycle just keeps going over and over again. And so the what is like, we have the information. And then now where the education starts happening is the so what what do you do with it? The now what, and then doing something. And then again, it goes, now what happened? Oh, now what do you see? I feel like it's such a simple concept. God bless Kolb for coming up with that. (laughs) But it's something that I feel like it layers so much, even like professionally, we could be making meaning of the work we do, not just what students are seeing on the ground. Just as you were talking about, I was like, oh, how amazing would a 16 week semester look if you Mm. were to take every classic college division within most institutions. So you have your humanities, you have your hard sciences, the social sciences, business, and then something else we'll throw <laughs> you know, um, and, and if you could create a four week experience that aligned with each of those modalities, gosh, it's amazing how many students who think, oh, I'm going to go to the business school. I'm going to do business. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm supposed to be doing that would love to have a four week experience where they're like embedded in like a business focus. That's the lens they use to look at whatever they're looking at. And then next four weeks, that's like art. And they're like, hey, yeah. I, you know, for me personally, I'd be like art please. But, you know, I probably need it in my life too. I mean, I love music and things like that, but like actual drawing, I'm like, no. But, you know, I just think, ah, how powerful would that have been for me or for, I think for any student to be, you know, I think people will say, well, that's what their like core curriculum is for. That's what a liberal arts education is. And I think you're right. It's not just enough to sit in an art history class and look at slides of art and call it like learning necessarily, because the information, like you said, you don't, you know, you could go to the library and get that. But now how do you make meaning of it on the ground? I think that's really powerful. One of the things that you said, I want to come back to, you said it at the beginning and um, you said it so well, I'm going to butcher it. But something along (laughs) the lines of you don't really begin to know something until you develop a relationship with it. Nothing is real until you have a relationship with it. Yeah, nothing is real. And so one of the things I would say, which could be really powerful for us as a field and professionals is that maybe we all need to be doing a little bit of gap year. <laughs> uh, maybe we need to, you know, to make something real, give it meaning to ourselves and, and see the power of something. Maybe we all need to be experiencing it in some way. What would be your thoughts on creating these types of experiences for adults? Yeah, it's, 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 so here's the thing is, um, there's a very natural time to do it, um, um, sort of developmentally, but also from a student loan perspective before the loans kick in, if you can do it before your college degree, a lot of students sort of either feel like they can't, um, because it's just, they just don't know about it, or maybe they're sort of pursuing a hard sciences degree and they've been sort of, you know, shepherded away from that kind of thing. Um, um, side note, a lot of gap year organizations are starting to add, hard science opportunities because they see it also on the rise as study abroad for hard science students is really challenging. But, but I'm hearing from so many people who are doing a gap year after their bachelor's degree too. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like they've gone straight through and, and yeah, you know, the two most common reasons students say to take a gap year are, are a, um, burnout from the competitive pressure of getting into college, um, and be a desire to know more about yourself. I think those are just as true if you've gone the whole system, you know, maybe even more so, mm-hmm. um, 
Um, and so, yeah, we're seeing a lot of people really sort of diving into that. Um, personally, I would love to see a gap year as part of our culture every 10, maybe 15 years. Like even if it was just like a sabbatical for six months that sort of society was like, was like, you know, being here, being alive, sort of our purpose is not just to make money. We have a, a higher sort of, you know, purpose, be it God, be it self, be it whatever it is. Like, like, what are we doing chasing our tails so much? I just think it's spoken like, like a th- true socialist. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll wear that occasionally. Yeah. But, you know, you can stand next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's great. So, okay, let's back up then. Let's make this really, really practical. I want somebody to be able to grab onto this and take some action. So say they have a a niece or nephew or a son or daughter or that's them and they're listening now and they're thinking, yeah, I want to maybe look into this gap year. How does someone get started? I mean, especially I'm thinking of those 18 year olds out there and maybe their parents who are like, what the heck is a gap year? What is, you know, at Mm. least the study abroad program, you get it because it's defined. There's a start date and end date. There's all the things in place for them. It's structured at AGA. Do you guys offer a resource for this? Are you planning to like, what, what's someone's first step? Yeah, no, totally. So, so AGA, it really hits, hits the ground on four main levels. Um, so one is, um, standards and, and credentialing. Um, we hold, we hold the best practices for gap year standards. So if there's an, a, a program, um, they go through our standards and it's like 150 points. It takes about eight months to, um, sometimes as long as a year and a half for an organization to go through them and, 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 and hit all the credentials. Um, so, so if you're looking for a good program, that's a simple way to start. I don't necessarily think, you know, like not all, all good programs are accredited. You know, many programs, AmeriCorps is not accredited. They don't need it, um, um, but they're a great program. So it's just a starting point to create a list. And that's one of my favorite things to suggest is like, like go through the list of accredited programs on our website with a pen and paper. Don't spend more than 30 or 45 minutes max because you'll just get overwhelmed. And write down like like core things that you find yourself getting excited about. Um, um, the gap year in some ways, I like to think of there's this great Howard Thurman quote, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world truly needs is people who have come alive. Um, well, well, you got to figure out what, what you're excited about. Um, so that's one bucket. Another one is, is resources. So we have a planning your gap guide, a guidebook. Um, um, we have on our website, there's actually specialist gap year counselors that will charge anywhere from 500 up to $2,500. Um, and oftentimes that's the cheapest way to go about it. Cause they know a guy, you know, like literally there's an opportunity for your art history buffs. Certainly not you, Brooke. Um, <laughs> would be to like go graft onto um, a, a, a painter in Paris, study French, or study French, study France, and mm-hmm. you can study France too, but study French. Um, um, be their gopher, and you'll have free studio space and free housing, and then all you're on your own for is food. Um, um, meanwhile, you're sort of you know learning by image. Like, how cool is that? Mm-hmm. Um, um, other things that we provide are we have a like, equity financial aid resources. We have a great financial aid web page. So there's, uh, for instance. I could tell you that there's $2,000 um, times 61 scholarships put out by Hosteling International USA, where they don't even require to stay in a hostel. They just want you to go overseas. Um, um, that's two grand. That'll help a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and then the last is research. So um, we actually we, we curate sort of the most comprehensive research in the field. And so my best advice would be to um, um, like a couple key tenets to a good gap year plan. One is, is that the student leads the way. Um, um, I think that's really important as much as the mom and dad probably will end up wanting to come with you. They, they're not the ones who are going, it's your journey. So the student leads the way mom and dad have veto power, of course, but, um, um, it's the student, it means the student needs to be doing the majority of the work, um, enroll the right expert. Um, I think about that, that significantly in terms of like, like, 
if you're going to figure out uh, international travel, then then you probably don't need someone who's going to be an expert on sort of domestic vaccinations. You need an international vaccination specialist. So find the right expert to fill in the hole that you don't know what to do. If you're saying, I really want to do service projects, well, heck, you know, Eric Hartman in Kansas, he's done some great outlining of that work. So so find the right person who can guide you in that direction. Um, budget, for sure. You got a budget. Think about it in, 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 in at least two, if not three or four distinct chunks. That's really important. Um, where you can scaffold on one thing leads to the next leads to the next. Um, um, and then the last thing I'd say is, is, um, um, double down on a hobby. Um, I think behind, behind the sort of the, you know, door number three of a good gap year, there's always the possibility that, that who knows, maybe what you love to do could turn into the thing that you're paid to do. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and that's more true now than it's been ever before with the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if there's something that you're really excited about, maybe you know, give that a shot. Like take a take a vertical dive into that for a couple months and mm-hmm. see if there's a way to turn that into a career. I feel like, and maybe this exists, and you should totally give it a plug if it does, or maybe you're working on it. But I feel like there is like real potential here for a tech solution here, like a gap year builder, like a kayak meets you know, educational program or something where it's sort of, you could, you can sort by topic area to price to dates and location, obviously, and sort of plan out a year or six months and sort of plug in all of these options and sort of, and then book them all from, from one, (laughs) uh, from one, like one click solution. I feel like that could be really, or send inquiries, you know, to those like five organizations that you drilled it down to. Does something like that exist? Or do you feel like, you think it should or any, any qualms with that? Nothing, nothing like that. I I think, I think, um, so I guess I'll say I'm a huge fan of, of intentions, less a fan of goals Mm -hmm. because goals oftentimes close you off to a better opportunity that comes up along the way. Um, and so if that was done so long as the intention became the through line and the goal sort of secondary, I think that that could be awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Unsurprisingly, we find that some students change their colleges, for instance, as a result of their gap year, having gained greater clarity and perspective. Mm. Um, um, that's a great idea, though. Um, I think I know a few people who, who could action that. Um, <laughs> if any of your listeners are like looking for a business opportunity, um, tell them to reach out to me. I'm sure we, we could. Brooke, we'll, we'll throw you in on it. And, yeah, uh, thanks. <laughs> that's such a great idea. Yeah, I think it could be really, I mean, it would be a lot of work. Building a tech startup, you guys, is really hard. I'm just saying, but that could be really powerful. <laughs> but let's end on like a positive note. I think one of the challenges with gap year and maybe kind of it's associated with sort of that volunteer broad world as well, especially from sort of the UK European point of view is that uh, there was a sort of a a, a viral video is several years old now. It was like the gap. Yeah. Video. <laughs> I'm familiar with it. <laughs> yes. And I'll link to it just so you guys can see the ridiculousness, but it's basically a, a tongue in cheek satirical look at like what a gap year would look like. Um, and it's sort of like these Western affluent people going to the rest of the world, trying to save them and just kind of being drunk and ridiculous. And I think there maybe is a stereotype of gap years, but probably honestly of all international experiences. How do you combat that? Yeah, well, first of all, it's a hilarious video. <laughs> I mean, like I, I've I've seen it more times than I can count, and I still, you know, I laugh I laugh before the funny parts because I just know what's going to come. I mean, the the, the irony. So the funny part about about that video, I think, is 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 it's a a a Westerner who obviously comes from great affluence, 
feels like he's been dropped into a quote unquote authentic experience. And based on, you know, the one minute of exposure that he had, he knows the locals and their plight. And of course it's a, it's a white male who's doing it. That's perfect. Um, and, um, um, I, I guess, I guess there is that, that perception. And honestly, one of the, the debates in our field right now is do we go, do we, do we label ourselves gap year or bridge year? Um, um, I think bridge year, it, it's connotive of something that's progressive gap year. Um, I feel like it, 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 it's, it's, we all have these moments in our life when we have a space between two things and, and it's really an opportunity to, to, to do something productive with it. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that that's actually a really good thing, especially that we need to learn on our Western culture. Um, um, the, the, the gap year piece, I, I guess what I'd say is, is that the gap year that AGA is really trying to, to, to sort of stake the claim for is, is really one of educational value. Um, um, it, it is educational. It's experience. Um, most gap year programs are, are alcohol free, um, and, and will kick students off if they, if they're drinking. Um, and I think it is, it, it's, it's a battle that I face every time I speak to a college in, uh, administrator is they think gap year, oh, that's like partying on the beach. And then maybe you're quote unquote volunteering. Um, um, that's not the gap year that AGA is. Um, I think that's, there, there's a time and a place maybe for that in someone, some, some, some people's lives. Um, um, but the gap year that we're trying to cultivate is it really is about self-reflection. It's about getting, giving back. And it's about, um, um, clarity for, for who you are and what you stand for in this world. I, I oftentimes think about, you know, when, when have you ever stopped to think about what your definition of success is? Um, it's probably handed to you by your media, by peers, by friends, you know, by your parents, by your community, by your city, um, um, you know, whatever products you see that are advertised to you. Um, but that's not your definition of success. And so how could you ever be successful living someone else's definition of success? It's about taking the time to figure out what that looks like for you. And so partying on the beach, I don't know that that's in furtherance. And so I think that's why we strip it out generally on the gap years that, that, that AGA is running. Hmm, interesting. Well, I think that's a really great way to close out this conversation. Thank you so much, Ethan, for being here. How can people connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, Brooke, this has been awesome. Thank you. Very fun too. Um, I really enjoyed this. We have to schedule part two. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah. So americangap.org, um, is one thing. Um, my email is Ethan at American gap. Um, I could tell you to the point you to the phone number, but, um, um, I know you're all going to look online anyway. So, um, that's the one thing we may be changing. I, I take this as a badge of courage that, um, um, the gap clothing company has sent us a, a, uh, trademark infringement letter. <gasps> if you can believe it, I know. Yeah. Um, and, and we're actually, um, um, fighting the good fight. Uh, so for now we're still the American gap association. We might end up becoming the American gap year association, but since most students are just taking a semester, I'll, I'll wear that as a badge of, 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 of courage. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck to you with that. And gosh, corporate America strikes again. <laughs> yes, yes, well, uh, well, we'll update all the links if anything ever changes, but we'll have links to all of these websites, everything we've mentioned in the show, in the show notes over on InsideStudyAbroad.com. Thank you again, Ethan, for being here. You rock, bro. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ethan. If you guys want to connect with Ethan or the American Gap Association, you can head on over to Twitter and you can follow them as American Gap. And of course, I'll have links where you can connect with Ethan on LinkedIn as well in the show notes over at InsideStudyAbroad.com slash podcast. 
Now, before I get into who's coming on the show next week, I want to remind you guys that there is a workshop tonight live at 7 p.m. all about the three first things you need to be doing to launch and grow your career in international education. I'm going to be giving you some action-packed stuff in this workshop, so do not miss it. Come on over to InsideStudyAbroad.com slash workshop to get all the juicy details. Now, Next week on the show, my awesome friend, Andrew Gordon, the founder of Diversity Abroad, coming on the show to talk about, of course, all things diversity and growing a fresh baby new organization in international education, even though his organization isn't so baby anymore. But we talk a little bit about his story and how he got started and, and found himself in the world of international education. So stay tuned for that next week. Until next time, I hope to see you guys on the inside. Bye for now.